I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, bravo to the birds of Rio. Uh, nothing. I just watched a movie, Rio, which is about uh, birds. Um, I believe they're in Rio de Janeiro. Interesting. Brazil. I uh, I just listened to the Duran Duran song over and over. Uh, her name is Rio and she dances on the sand. Her name is... Yeah, that one. Are we going to use that like at this point? Or do you think in the other break? Which one? Which, where do you think? You're oh, bravo. You figured it out. <laughs> Can we spend the entire episode sarcastically saying bravo to each other? <laughs> oh, great point. Bravo. There's just something that still tickles me about the birds of Rio. Those crazy cats. They're getting up to all sort of mischief. They're dancing to hip hop. I've never so I've never seen the Rio. They're shaking movies. their tail feather, but it's a literal tail feather. I mean, that is like all of those dream those whatever were not in Pixar movies, they're like how about animals dancing? <laughs> but we're, we're actually doing a new month, so I should start there, where we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of the month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast. And uh, this month, we are doing a siege month. We were talking about trying to say, hey, everyone's trapped in their homes. What's something we can do that's not seeming to capitalize on that? But also uh, talk about some movies we've been anxious to talk about. And and we're always having to go back to the John Carpenter well. So we were going to do some Siege movies. Uh, we should note, this month does not feature Under Siege or Under Siege 2 Dark Territory or the qualify. Bruce Willis Denzel Washington vehicle, The Siege. We have specifically. Uh, yeah, none of those qualify. They don't. Well, I mean, they probably. I mean, the siege probably does. The siege qualifies as much as this movie, and that in the siege they lock down a town, and here they lock down a town. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll we'll get to that. We'll get town. To that. The town's bigger in in the siege. And yeah. Also, Actually, let's talk. Let's talk about the concept for right now. Sure. Because uh, you know what people say is that New York is like you know a big town. You know. Yeah. I mean, no one debates that. They say like I think do they do you know, they siege people know each other. Hold names. on, do they siege New York in the siege? I don't think they do. Well, technically, I believe the Peter? pseudo heroes siege the siege New York. Peter, I need you to tell me something. You're the one who suggested this month. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the siege? Oh, I have. Because if not, it doesn't feel like you are qualified to recommend a siege month, even one that doesn't feature the siege. Oh, I've seen the siege. Okay, but it's under siege. <laughs> Let's let's go through what the concept of the month is. Okay. No, I want I want to talk more about pebbles. this. We don't need to rush ahead. <laughs> Tell me more about what happens in the 1998 Edward Zwick movie, The Siege. Uh, so there's a bus explosion. A terrorist blows up a bus in New York, uh, and then the uh, U.S. military reacts by essentially locking down Manhattan. Um, I don't remember exactly why. Um, and then it is uh, New York City. Yes. 
they go like I think they were going like block by block. They're locking up and, and putting uh, Muslims and Arab folks into internment camps and such. Yeah, um, one of those one of those ones where it's like, oh yeah, Muslims can just be the villains. Yeah, it's it's a weird movie because it seems it's to predict a little bit. If you watch the first thirty minutes, you'd be like, "This is a this is insane." This movie predicted nine eleven, and then you watch the last thirty minutes, you're like, "No, it didn't. It actually is just it's actually just what's that? Work. What's that movie that we did watch that does predict nine eleven? Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Is it Super Mario Brothers? Uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, Dennis Hopper blows up uh, the World Trade Center with uh, a, a D evolve weapon. I feel like it was something else that like. Uh, yeah, wasn't it? Um, it wasn't Southland Tales. No, oh, 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 oh! It was the Long Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight was a movie that essentially was like uh, the nine uh, eleven inside job movie. Yeah, the that they like they they have a nine eleven brew. Yeah, they're oh. gonna. I think they're gonna like set off a nuke or something on home turf, and it's gonna help uh, jumpstart the military industrial complex. By the way, if you type in the longest good night, the first thing that auto populates is predicted nine eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the movie was a bomb. It kind of killed. Uh, so it was nine eleven. <laughs> well, if you think about, do you believe the, the official thing? Do you believe, Peter? Do you know about jet fuel? I, 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 I mean, I know it, it fuels Off jet. the top of your head, how, how hot can it burn? 900 degrees? Maybe. But not, <laughs> but, but not I enough. I thought you were Googling Not 9/11. enough to melt steel beams, which is what famously sky, straight, sky straight scrapers contain. Sky scrapers. That sounds like a, a, a nudity move where you give the people the nudity. Hold on, I'm going to watch the scene from Long Kiss Goodnight. You're telling me that you're going to fake some terrorist thing just to get some money out of Congress? Well, unfortunately, Mr. Hennessy, I have no idea how to fake killing 4,000 people. <laughs> so we're just going to have to do it for real. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, no, it really did predict, at least predict what people think, some people think happened on 9-11. Yeah. I Can't mean, fake kill 4,000 build... people, so I gotta really kill them and blame it on the Muslims. It was a way to build Congress out of money, but uh, not for not for the false flag reasons that we thought. Yeah, just general greed and incompetence. Anyways, yeah, yeah so we're doing uh, Siege Month, and we're kicking off, hold on, before we get into why we're doing this, with uh, the, uh, Peter, you're gonna like this word, are you ready? Mm-hmm. Progenitor. <laughs> Yes. Which, which is not true. It is not the progenitor for siege movies. Uh, happen all the time in Western. It is in a sense. It is a progenitor for Assault on Precinct Thirteen, which is the progenitor of modern siege movies. Mm. But like the idea of like the concept of the Alamo existed far before this movie. Like, for example, during the Alamo. Yeah, and the Alamo was in its own way referencing uh, trebuchet and siege combat of the Middle Ages. When all those people died at the Alamo, they were like, this is a reference. Do you get it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> when when those terrorists invaded other another country, put a fort there, and then died. Uh, and then everyone's like, What? It's like it's like if you went in someone's bathroom and started like like this is my bathroom now. And also as a matter of fact, the house is yours. If you come near, I'm gonna shoot you, and then people finally get you out and they're like, Remember the bathroom. <laughs> people start taking over bathrooms in your name. 
uh, and people start playing, uh, people start playing the, the bathroom song to, to, to let you know that there will be <laughs> no prisoners taken. And then, like, later, Pee Wee Herman's like, there's no basement in the bathroom. It's a bathroom. <laughs> it's just one room. <laughs> Obviously, you can't just get your bike. There's no bike in this bathroom. Yeah. Uh, and then later, an entire culture of people that live in the bathroom will... Uh, mindlessly tout remember the alamo and only remember it as a time well they'll say remember the bathroom (laughs) peter they won't say remember the alamo not in this particular uh analogy but yeah a fun reminder that our uh our country's heroes are just fucking monsters uh anyway peter what you wanted to do siege month i did why do you why why you want to do something like that (laughs) like aaron referenced i kind of wanted to do a siege month because the uh, us all being locked down, claustrophobic in our houses, uh, reminded me a little bit of a siege movie where you're like, we're all gathering supplies, we're making little runs outside and then coming back home to our houses. And it feels and like we're, we're getting annoyed with each other, but we're also sort of planning together with our little family units or roommate units or whatever. And... <clears throat> but I did not want to do a plague movie. Um, I did or a plague month, though that would have been pretty easy. It would have been kind of exploitative. I more so wanted to focus on this month that we we wanted to do for a long time, and is is sort of a uh, laterally related, um, as opposed to literally related. Um, so, in a sense, I wanted to do this month because uh, it, uh, we could talk about, we could theoretically talk about our feelings of being cobbled up and and and, uh, and locked inside our homes, but uh, didn't have to uh, constantly talk about the political failure uh, that Trump's admin has been for uh, the United States during this entire coronavirus situation. And we don't have to talk about getting sick, uh, which also... Uh, sometimes in, in plague movies, uh, the right people get sick. Kevin Spacey in Outbreak. Um, I don't remember if he dies in that movie, but in my head canon, he does. And then later makes a YouTube video about, like, <laughs> how, in his quarantine suit about how he's still alive. Um, <laughs> I think his organs get liquefied and then the, oh. they give him, like, the vaccine and he's like, I'm all better, <laughs> my, my My organs requefied. <laughs> solidified that's, that's thank, thank you for thank you dustin hoffman for injecting me with the de-liquefaction process people are saying i'm contagious <laughs> <laughs> he starts only wearing sunglasses like he's albert wesker yeah people are saying don't come near me yeah they always say those kind of things before they they meet whatever my character's name is in outbreak <laughs> <laughs> mom uh, always said if you want to make a ba- <laughs> mom always said if you want to make a bad mint julep you leave that mint alone daddy always said if you want to make a good ju- mint julep you beat the hell out of it oh yeah you can shake my hand i've washed them <laughs> <laughs> i wash them again god damn it uh yeah so that uh so we're not doing that very as you can see yeah. who wants a month of that so we're doing this and uh Thankfully, we're starting on the least, uh, we're starting an easy breezy, non problematic uh, movie <laughs> talking about John Wayne uh, and apparently Howard Hawks. So let's talk a little bit about. Uh, so, this is Rio Bravo again. It really is the movie along with Night Living Dead uh, inspired uh, or kind of was the, the focal point for why John Carpenter wanted to make or ended up making Assault on Precinct 13. We'll talk more about how this movie doesn't really feel 
like Assault of Precinct 13, or really doesn't feel like the other Siege movies we're going to talk about next week. But I can we'll talk a little bit about how, even though this was not quite what I was expecting, because I'd never seen it before. I don't think Peter had ever seen it before. Uh, I really liked it, and uh, I can see why a lot was has been made of this being kind of the ultimate or original uh, Siege movie that a lot of directors borrow from. But let's talk about how this movie came to be. So, uh, John Wayne, we'll get into him more in a second before we actually get into the movie. Uh, notorious, like, one of the worst people at a time when most of most of the white male movie stars of this era and before and really since have been monsters. But obviously, as you get further back, there was more acceptance for uh, a level of monstrosity as um, the country accepted a lot of uh, terrors against marginalized people. John Wayne was, like, especially, like... I'm just going to have the wrong position about most things, uh, including, uh, which we'll talk about in a sec, like making a pro-Vietnam movie in the which middle I've of seen. Vietnam. Yeah. I have not seen it. We'll, we'll get to that in a sec. You're good. Uh, yeah, I, I no intention to. And, and yeah, I don't. And I, yeah, I really am not a John Wayne fan in general. I'm not saying that. And like even one of... Um, I don't want to get into this because this is a whole thing, but I fucking hate The Searchers. And I hated The Searchers when I saw it uh, back in high school when I was, like, really excited to see The Searchers. Um, I think it's, like, I watched it again about five years ago. Like, I'm like, well, maybe it was just that high school thing. And I kind of disliked it even more because the uh, tr- the br- bothersome areas of that movie really only magnified between, uh, you know, 20, 2000 and 2015. Um, I do really like him in uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. I love that movie. Great. One of the best Westerns. Stagecoach I've seen him in, which I can kind of like, I don't know, I can take or leave him in Stagecoach. Stagecoach is like, it's fine as like the first, first like big good Western, I guess is kind of how it's referred to. But I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Stagecoach in general. And then... Um, Sorry, I feel like there's one other movie I've seen him in that might be worth mentioning, and I can. Have it you out. seen Longest Day? No. Oh, I know the other one. It's the other Howard Hawks movie. It's uh, uh, Red River, which I really liked. So yeah, for, before this, four John Wayne movies, which isn't that much. Uh, he's definitely been a lot of other stuff, including two remakes of this movie. <laughs> we'll get into that. Um, where he plays the same character, where they just keep remaking it, which is completely insane. Uh, the, the fact that like back people complain about remakes now. Can you imagine if they made remakes and it, it was the same director and the same actor in one role, and then they just would change some things and bring in different actors? People would be like, "What is happening?" <laughs> <laughs> but people people ate that shit up. Uh, I think like at least two out of three were uh, very successful. Very the successful. There, yeah, there was successful. there was yeah. Th- which makes sense because it's like, well, I'm never going to see real Bravo again because the VHS hasn't been invented. So how do we get, how do we let people see this lovable John Wayne character in the story? I know. Let's just make it again. Instead um, of making a sequel or something. Yeah. Because like the movies do riff on one another and they do slightly recast some characters. And like sometimes like, so they like, yeah, they take out a character. So they are true remakes and like, let's change some stuff up. But it is funny that all of them are Howard Hawks. All of them have John Wayne in the same same role. Uh, but anyway, so um, but I, Howard Hawks is kind of one of those like directors like a Capra, like a um, uh, uh, Ernest Lubowicz, um uh, and a, a few others that, like, I'm 
when I see his name on movies, or I will go seek out movies by him, like from that era, where it's it's not always like the same kind of like auteur feeling, but it is a like a stamp of like, oh, this guy, whether through producer credits or camera knowledge, made a lot of good movies. So yeah, I mean the Howard Hawks uh, line of movies that I like is pretty high. It is. You know, everything from, like, His Girl Friday to um, uh, Bringing Up Baby and kind of the more comedy components of it. And then, like, a movie we've done is our second Howard Hawks movie because we did Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Peter. Um, And then, like, some great, like, noir stuff like The Big Sleep, uh, To Have and Have have Not kind of falls in there. So, like, a really good, like, melange of, like, genres. And he was really good at at, uh, making some classics and a few of them. So they made this movie. They decided to make this movie, Peter, because have you seen High Noon? Uh, I have. I have. I haven't seen it since I first got into Westerns. We can talk about our history with the Western genre a little bit here as well. Great idea. Let's let's do that. And then we'll come back to where High Noon fits. Yeah, because uh, so this is actually our first true Western we've done on the show, true. which is shocking. Um, we, we did Maverick. We did Maverick, and that's in keeping with our we're only going to do Westerns that feature a monster in the lead role. <laughs> um, so, so next one is going to be the Lone Ranger. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that one is an interesting one, uh, for a lot of reasons, so we might end up actually getting there. Um, so... I've never seen it. So, um... Let's talk about that. We've not. Ne- we've somehow never done Leone. Uh, yeah. We've never done Django Unchained. Uh, we've never done The Proposition, which is one of my absolute favorite movies. We've never done Wild Bunch. Like we've never done sort of new Hollywood. So we haven't done like a new Hollywood one, like Wild Bunch. We haven't done uh, spaghetti westerns like Leone. Or, we haven't like, the done the weird Django's. genre ones either. From like the that like would also be worth talking about. Like I'd love. I don't think I don't love the Quick and the Dead. I think it's a okay movie. But like yeah, Sam Raimi does a does a western when he's kind of in the in the little bit of the sorry for the pun the wilderness in Hollywood trying to figure out where he fits when he's having trouble getting movies made with Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Russell Crowe and Sharon Stone like that seems like tailor made for this show. Uh yeah, it's uh we've never done it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because we essentially we essentially have avoided the genre even though I think both of us are pretty pretty big fans of the genre now but i got into westerns when i was in high school but i got into westerns i think at the the, with the right uh nexus point which is leone first um because if i had if i had had the old john ford uh westerns shoved down my throat i probably would have hated those movies because i've only grown to appreciate those movies now uh they're very boring um they have uh they have a lot of elements that me at 15 or 16 would have just been like, Hey, this is just racist. (laughs) Um, which is, you know, searchers is a very problematic movie because of that. Um, and the, uh, that wouldn't have appealed to me at 15, 16. Like I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was, uh, stupid in a lot of ways when I was 15, 16, but I could, I knew that uh, native Americans were people. Um, so I got into Leone movies, The Good and Bad and the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is, I think, my pick for best Western of all time, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, and I'm so, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry to sound lame. Mine is Good, Bad, and the Ugly. I fucking 
I mean, it's the Good Man, the Ugly is the most fun Western of all time. And we haven't done Good Man, the Weird, which is an amazing riff, like a Western set in Manchuria. And we haven't done Proposition, which is a Western set in the Australian Outback. I'd love to um, do stuff like, yeah, eventually. Did you ever see like the Great Silence with like, <laughs> it's like Klaus true, Kinski? Yeah, True true Grit by way of Klaus Kinski. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah, we haven't done we, we haven't done the spaghetti. There's so, I mean, we haven't done so many. Like, yeah, the third yeah. third rate spaghetti western. Um, yeah, the the Peck and Paw westerns, like not just uh, not just Wild Bunch, but like Pecker and the and and Billy the Kid, or like yeah. I mean, there's I westerns are one of those genres for me that I especially like the old like thir- we'll say 30s through 70s, 30s through 60s westerns. That I said before how much I like, like, when I'm sick, I like putting on old sci-fi and horror movies from that same era. And I feel the same about Westerns. And that's not the only time I watch any of these, but I'm just trying to set a mood that, like, there's something so relaxing in a weird way of, like, yeah, I'm just going to watch these guys with their spurs and their boots. And they're like, oh, there's bad guys coming into town. And, like, I, it's all just so digestible for the most part. It just goes down like really easy, which is what you need sometimes when you're like, I'm not feeling good. I just want to watch that doesn't too much like is over directed or over plotty or something like that. It's a it's a really great formula. And there's I'm glad through like um, a lot of different lists that I've read from AV Club or Dissolve or it is a genre that I feel like where it gets a little bit complicated. And probably why we haven't done it, Peter, is that initially when we started making like themes for this show, we would talk a lot about like um, we should do a animation month or we should do a Western month. Now, those are really, really broad. There's literally, um, uh, you know, you, you can't just like we, we can't just do like a sci fi month. That's uh, yeah. but for some reason with Westerns and animation, we were like, I think, thinking extremely broad and having trouble figuring out the right way to pare it down into a theme. And I really yeah, think like we that's could have done like a new Hollywood Westerns and done, you know, uh, Butch Cassidy and Wild Bunch and, you know, a couple others or or uh, we could have done. And then uh, what's the what's that modern Western where the, the guy has no arm hook? <laughs> hook uh regardless yeah we could have done like a new hollywood one i think at this point we have to do a leone the the main leone four as a month right um and maybe throw in a ducky sucker if we have time but it's in- it's really interesting that the one that we chose for this month peter is one that neither of us had ever seen i actually owned it on blu-ray because it has gotten so much of like i i, I almost separated them into first round and second round mentally which is like Hey, all those movies that were acclaimed when you were a kid that you knew to go see that were Westerns, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, uh, The Searchers, the one that kind of got me going, oh, wait, can Westerns be good? I had that moment too, Peter. My dad used to watch Westerns. I I was a little – I eventually watched Good, the Bad, and the Ugly like a year after it, but the two that were recommended by a friend of mine were Outlaw Josie Wales and um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And both of those felt like – didn't feel like – old dad movies to me and then i feel like there's been a second wave through criterion and through these other resources that goes yeah 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 we don't even talk about the searchers but hey red river and rio bravo and um all these other things are also worth worth watching so i i never got to this one owned it been meaning to watch it and then uh and thought well it's got john wayne but howard hawks makes some good movies uh, they clearly were on more of a wavelength than I just intuited, based mm-hmm. on the fact that Howard Hawks made like some some pretty good like 
Catherine Hepburn feminist type. Like, His Girl Friday is like, hey, yeah, a woman can do newspapering and uh, and bringing a baby. is like, hey, maybe Catherine Hepburn's the cool person and Clark Gable's a fucking nerd who's scared of this dumb cheetah. Like, you know, so it didn't feel like, you know, Gloria Steinem feminism or radical. Like, it, it felt like, okay, this guy's not a big piece of shit. It felt um, vibrant and modern. Yeah. And you can see that influence. You can see the Hoxian woman trope um, in Lee in Assault on Precinct 13, the original. Um, Amber in Green Room applies for sure. Um, Lizard in VFW is a Hoxian woman, I would say. Uh, absolutely none of the women in the Assault on Precinct 13 remake. Uh, not even one. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's only two, so yes, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> there's only two, and they're both bad characters. Oh, there's three. The, like the, Maria... the prisoner. That's true. But I mean, also, we're not like there Maria yet. Bello Remember, is gonna be this is bad, the problem when we record. Up. This is the problem when we record well out of order. People don't even know we're doing the remake, Peter. <laughs> well, they'll know. They'll know at the end of this this episode. And also, wait, wait. since we did this the other, we did this backwards. We actually have a chance to compare and contrast and sort of set up the month um, in a way we never get to do. Yeah, it's true. So last thing before we get to High Noon, um, and we're going to circle back to that very quickly before we get into the actual movie. Um, it is worth noting that like we, we did very intentionally this month, and we have recorded all the other episodes, which is weird. But we did decide to do this chronologically. We want to start with Rio Bravo, and then get into Salt on Precinct 13, uh, the John Carpenter movie, which kind of, again, says that uh, half its influence came from this. And then inspired a bunch of other Siege-type movies. And then we're going to do Green Room, which is probably the best modern example. And then we're going to do a, a new one, which is rare for our show. VFW, which is uh, Assault on Precinct 13, taking place at a VFW with some wonderful character actors. So we did decide to do this chronologically from a, um order of episodes and then decided to uh, record them all wildly out of order but uh it still kind of works it actually i think is helpful a little bit to have more perspective on the later movies going back to the progenitor uh rio rio i make them come just a tiny bit each time i say it <laughs> which is why i like to pause the pause is the foreplay the word is the coming come moment Absolutely. as Absolutely. they say no one says climax anymore they say come moment which is my favorite <laughs> gasper no movie Come on. Um, um, and, and, and we spell come C U M B, right? Uh, yeah, like uh, the come Christina up. Aguilera follow up to GD Bottle. Come on over, come on over. <laughs> so you you mentioned that this month uh, that you mentioned two things. One, Rio Bravo I mentioned is well more not, than two things, but yeah, let's. It, but hold on, I, we got to get back to why the, how this movie came to be. Hold on, no, no, no. I want to okay. I want to knock this out really quickly. Okay. Uh, the the you mentioned uh, while we're talking about the structure of the month, um, you mentioned Rio Bravo is a um, uh, uh, doesn't necessarily match the same structure as the other movies. Um, but the but uh, it is a siege movie. It's about our good guys are kind of trapped in a small town. And we'll get into the plot more in detail later. But trapped in a small town, they can't really go anywhere. They can't leave because they have a duty to to running this this jail, and they need to get their prisoner to to justice. Um, and they keep getting picked off by these sort of men in the shadows and and these these throngs of bad guys. Um, and and you know by the end of the movie, it's not really a siege movie, but in the in another sense, uh, most of these movies are about them breaking through the siege and taking the attack on their their um 
they're aggressors. So in a sense, all the movies this month kind of match that same that same structure. Um, under siege, under siege, under siege. All right, we 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 fought them off. Now let's go get them. So it, it, you know it does and it doesn't match the structure, but. It is the movie that uh, John Carpenter most heavily credits as inspiring Assault on Precinct 13. And I think Assault on Precinct 13 kind of split off into three barbs, uh, a trident, if you will. It's, it's weird doing this out of order. Um, I know. And then, it's, a, it's a joke to something that may end up in the final edit of the last episode yeah. of the month. Yeah, so uh, one Assault on Precinct Thirteen remake is modernizing it. Adds a lot of it adds a lot of uh, heft to it in a sense, and and not necessarily for the better. Um, it's a longer movie. There's a lot more characters, a lot more characterization. It's a much more complicated plot. The Green Room is a lean, mean movie. It's probably as close as we've gotten to Assault on Precinct Thirteen uh, in terms of style. It's very cold in a, in a very and cool and manner. goodness and goodness and goodness. Uh, VFW uh, is 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 also you know carpenter carpenter in terms of the trim sort of minimalism of it. But it's, it's very more- much like so VFW saving our thoughts on it. I would say that it is the movie that is more like I'm going to make Assault on Precinct 13 under these conditions where Green Room is I'm inspired by this and then have my own things I want to talk about. Is that a fair assessment? More or less. Yeah. Yeah. I think Green Room is is uh, is the most um, dramatically compelling movie of the month. But VFW also kicks ass in its own punky way. So three kind of movies. So if you think about it, uh, Rio Bravo led into Assault and then Assault split off in three directions. Um, Which is so funny that they're punky movies because to, to circle back really quick before we get into the movie, I think John Wayne would have hated punks. He would have hated. He would have hated all of the movies that were inspired by Rio Bravo. I think he would hate all the people. All the people. He would have hated John Carpenter. I don't think John Carpenter and John Wayne would have gotten along at all. John Carpenter is famously like a, a liberal guy, and a lot of his movies have a left lean. Um, John Wayne, if he had lived to really buck up for Reagan, uh, him and John Carpenter definitely would have been at odds. Well, you find out like. That is a weird thing. Like, you find out, like, Jimmy Stewart and Frank Campra were, like, Republicans, and you're like, what? How? How were those two? How is Capra a Republican? And, like, you realize that there was, like, besides the whole part of the the, the shift of the political parties and all that kind of stuff, you know, like, Dwight Eisenhower, who, like, you know, rallied against the military-industrial complex, but then was also, like helped like corporatize religion into the white house with all the anti-communism stuff and like it was just a it was just a grafting republican and democrat on anyone i think in the 40s and 50s gets complicated it doesn't mean that you're right or wrong like obviously if you're republican in that era it doesn't necessarily mean that you're like don't have a problem with capitalism which is weird in this era it may mean that you're like more racist than we thought um but like that that's where a lot of this gets super complicated but then again you get back enough and it was the democrats that were uh that were the racist party and the republicans were still doing that lincoln thing so it's especially complicated it gets sort of tough sometimes to go hey when i hear jimmy stewart or frank capra or some of these guys were quote unquote a republican or a democrat or whatever else that doesn't mean that they had liberal or conservative politics in the same way that we know them today. And that is important to know. 
they probably were more in general racist and misogynist and a lot of other things. Uh, what they believed, and and a lot of them, like you know, Jimmy Stewart may have said he's a Republican or Frank Capra, and I can go down the list. I don't know what Clark Gable or half of these guys thought about stuff, but uh, they didn't talk about politics as much. John Wayne had a thing of like, I'm going to be incredibly political. I have thoughts, I have feelings, and God damn it, I'm John Wayne. I'm going to say what those are. And uh, most of what he said was, like, uh, stuff I don't even want to quote on this podcast. Like, I don't want to get into some of the quotes of, like, yeah, I get black people are upset, but maybe when they are equal to white people, they can have a chance at running. This. Like, there's so yeah. much of that. There's so the, the so fact that he's on a million sort of we talked about this with Marilyn Monroe, yeah. like Marilyn Monroe, the more you learn about her, the more tragic her story is and the more sort of yeah. sympathy you have for her and the less and, and the sort of like um, uh, eroticization of her and like, uh, you know, the walls of like retro diners and shit gets kind of uh, sad and gross. And the more that, and then in that same that same appeal, the, the the sort of flip side of Marilyn Monroe, even you know sharing uh, sharing a director with Howard Hawks, the uh, John Wayne was a monster. Um, well, and that quote I'm and, referencing and, and, is not from the '40s, which wouldn't make him less of a monster, but it is it is from the '70s, which somehow makes it more of a monster than you would have yeah, expected. Yeah, yeah, and he he was in yeah you know. Regardless of whether or not you find The Searchers to be racist or a lot of those cowboys and Indian movies to be racist, he was definitely a racist. Um, yeah. And, and and the reason it's fine to cancel John Wayne, so to speak, <laughs> uh, and, and I don't think that this is just a bunch of millennials getting mad at him is because uh, I had problems with these movies when I was a kid. Yeah, um, me too. I, I told you how much I fucking hated The Searchers. Yeah, and I grew to like The Searchers because it's a gorgeous-looking movie, and it does. It's actually it's 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 sort of um, its racial politics are way more complicated than they seemed at first. But the, the John Wayne has been sort of like a boomer hero of a tough guy for so long. Yeah, and yet he the the, the man himself, like everything I know about him in his personal life. Um, as a you know as a outspoken republican is disgusting um the fact that he uh we can we can break this into pieces but the fact that he essentially was this macho gung-ho asshole and fighting this fight against communism and and what he was really doing is ruining people's lives Um, yeah so let's talk a little bit about that so yeah so let's talk about the origins of this movie and then something peter i think you wanted to kind of get into a little bit with high noon very popular Western. John Wayne, very popular Western star. Howard Hawkson uh, dabbled in the genre, as most directors of the time did. Uh, you would think they would go, hey, this, to- this, this story of a sheriff who is, like, trying to get the town to rally around him as he faces off against a, a villain coming to town. It's just, like, it's a, it's a really tense movie. It kind of takes place in real time, and it's 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 really good. I like High Noon quite a bit. I never would have expected that High Noon was like this controversial uh, movie that pissed off a lot of people, including John Wayne and Howard Hawks, because they thought that that High Noon was an appeal to communists. Because here you have this lawman, the guy with the gun, the guy that should be protecting everyone. He's going around to the whole town asking for help. Like some sort of, I don't know, communists. Like, 
I guess that's what the communists were known as. Like, asking people for help to stop a bad guy is communist. He's got the guns. He's got the firepower. He's got good old American exceptionalism. How dare he ask church ladies and other people for help? So as a reaction, like, this is a reactionary movie to High Noon and the threat of communism. They decided to make a movie where there was an omnipresent threat or coming threat of violence. And they, like tough men, didn't ask for help laughed at people who tried to ask for help until they proved they're worthy and handled it on their own. And somehow they made a fantastic movie that I love through that, but can't, like, even try to get into the headspace of, like, we're going to make a whole two-and-a-half-hour fucking movie about how these guys don't ask for help. And when people say, we're going to help you, they say, no, you don't help us. You stay there. Oh, and then we're going to make the concept of a woman helping us? In this kind of situation? No, thank you. Like, happens at the end of High Noon. We're going to make direct references to to that moment about how ridiculous that is. And it's just like, holy shit. Like, what the fuck? And this is my theory. I couldn't find anything about it. Obviously, anytime finding, like, contemporary stuff. But I wonder if this is why this is a movie that is not on AFI film list. The reviews at the time were okay. They're, you know, pretty good. The audience really liked it. I feel like that's something, if I didn't know about the movie, Peter, I would never have gotten that from this movie. <laughs> that this was like an active reactionary movie to Academy Award winner High Noon as a fuck you to communism and stuff like that. And instead, like when you're watching it in the 2000s, and maybe you're younger and you weren't around for that part or you don't remember reading that stuff like a lot of the kind of film critic gatekeepers that make the AFI type lists and best Western lists and stuff like that from like the 90s and the 2000s that like they just didn't like know. They're just like, this is a really great movie by a master by yeah. Howard Hawks. And so it is funny, like now you get those sight and sound polls and stuff like that. And Rio Bravo is like one of the highest Westerns on there, if not the highest. And it's a movie that why why it was second wave to me is because this movie was not talked about as as one of the greatest westerns of all time on all the western stuff and lists and best movie stuff and it has since become that and i wonder if it is that separation of time of like no one remembers and it's ridiculous what this movie was was created for but like at its time it's almost like a um I don't want to say like it's like a Hillary's America, but it's almost like a God's Not Dead of its time, where it's like, <laughs> where it's like, how do we counter all these faithless movies? We're gonna make our own movie that says God is real, atheists are stupid. So I I feel like maybe that is why this movie was like something that critics didn't talk about on the list of greatest westerns of all time in general, um, and then became like this is the I like I said. In the top 75 on Sight and Sounds 2012 list. Yeah, it, it's interesting getting that context. Because if I think if you watched it without that context, you would just think, uh, oh, yeah, this is just, you know, a Western of the era. John Wayne, he's, he's defending his town. He's doing what's you know, he's supposed to do. You wouldn't get the sense that this was like, uh, you know, a reactionary portrait. I think if I'd watched the movies within a week of each other, I wouldn't have gotten that sense, to be honest. I think um, if I would have watched them back to back, why, why would you think that, like... Cause it's, but it was funny. I did read that before I watched the movie. I don't know what order you did it in, Peter, and it didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie because it is nice to have all the all of the reactionaries in it. 
uh, just dead. It doesn't really matter anymore. Uh, about a cause that no one cares about anymore. It was amazing how many people kept offering to help that they said no to, which again would have been like, I would have thought Lone Hero, Snake Plissken can handle it on his own. I wouldn't have thought there was any greater like political meaning to uh, thumbing their nose at Kyle. Like, it's, it's hilarious that that's what all those moments were meant to do. Well, let's let's take a little a little side note here before we continue. Uh, John Wayne famously made the only Vietnam pro Vietnam movie during Vietnam with the Green Berets, uh, and the reason that he made it was because um, it, it it came out the same year as the Tet Offensive, a famously bad time for. Uh, for um you know support of the vietnam war he made it because he he thought that americans uh support well he didn't want to get all tet defensive and be like <laughs> maybe this is a bad war so he stri- striked back yeah so Struck he made a, he made the movie specifically as a reactionary pro-war movie um and partially to help bolster uh you know uh troop signups troop enlistments and the movie itself is a bland, entirely empathy-free portrait of the war with no sense of, um, you know, uh, you know, balance or no sense of war is hell. Uh, the only sense of war is hell is the sense that you get from his World War II movies, which is war is hell on the good guys. Um, the... Uh, the, the, the film is incredibly boring and approaches like a sort of uh, the uh, North Vietnamese in a way a lot of movies from the era, unfortunately, do even anti-Vietnam movies, uh, sort of cowboys and Indians. Um, and by that, I mean, uh, the, the American troops are seen as, you know, the cavalry swinging in to save the, you know, the poor South Vietnamese and save them from communism while the North Vietnamese are trudging in as these mindless awful hordes um and it's it's a gross movie it's a boring movie um it's in it's incredibly outdated for its time i mean it's a fucking it's a world war ii movie that came out during it's a world war ii style conservative movie that came out during vietnam and and his sort of his sort of uh approach to these these uh big uh world issues going on like uh you know the blacklist or um you know uh, the domino theory uh that that pulled us into foreign conflicts and messing with foreign governments and his incredibly regressive view on that uh is why i feel totally comfortable despite our age um judging this movie in context because in context the, he, he, he was surrounded by peers and, and reviewers of the time who, who slammed, uh, you know, movies like this and movies like Green Beret uh, with, uh, you know, it, Rio Bravo was somewhat well-reviewed, but Green Beret was horrifically reviewed. But they slammed movies like this with a conservative bent saying basically like, well, why, why are you taking time right now in the middle of this discussion to make a regressive? And he, so I feel totally comfortable despite our, our age to, um, to slam, uh, John Wayne, uh, within the context of, of the era that he lived. As far as we know, Cary Grant was the fucking worst. Maybe he had all the same opinions as John Wayne. But he definitely didn't, like, take an active participant in making the world worse to the level. Like, not just, like, individual relationships. John Wayne did his best to make the world and our country worse. Actively. So, uh, yeah, I have no problem judging him in context. And I also have no problem laughing at the fact that uh, 
I like that this movie is good. I very much enjoyed this movie. I would watch this movie again. I think I gave it four and a half stars. It's great. I love that it's lost all of its reactionary meaning because that would piss off John Wayne. I love that we can watch the Green Beret and laugh at how wrong that was because no one supports the Vietnam War anymore. I'm sure there's some crazy, like, lunatic conservative that's like, no, 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 domino theory. You sure we lost the Vietnam War, but that's what stopped communism. Like, I'm sure there are those people, but come on. If like, uh, yeah, if we it, yeah, it, it would have been, uh, and that contingent would be much larger if we had uh, quote unquote won Vietnam. Uh, but uh, that's a that's a whole discussion for a whole other day. Um, John, I am Wayne picturing a, like I am picturing if all of a sudden one of the biggest movie stars in the world made like a pro Katrina movie in two thousand six. <laughs> <laughs> like made it so that George W. Bush was the hero, like getting people out of a hurricane and stuff like that, and everyone just be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> like Tom Hanks made this. <laughs> he made a pro. Like I get he's not pro the hurricane, but he's like pro handling of the hurricane. This is a hero story about man versus nature. <laughs> Yeah, he made uh, The Edge, uh, but for uh, George Bush individually rescuing black families in uh, New Orleans. The the famous tagline, like, I'm so not racist, I believe all people should survive a hurricane. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, what? It's 2006. He's like, nine I didn't call months it, ago. He's like, I didn't call in FEMA because I knew they'd just get in my way. John Brown is like played by Brad Pitt. And you're just like, huh? What? <laughs> God. Uh, it really disappointed me that my George W. Bush started out a George H.W. Bush uh, accent, and then it just kind of rolled into uh, nothing. Um, I used to be able to go, uh, just like I used to be able to do a good uh, George H.W. Bush because of Dana Carvey, I used to be able to do a good George W. Bush because of Will Ferrell, and both are gone, and that's fine. Yeah. It's, it's I'm fine. actually fine because yeah. it means that I, I'm not seeing – they're not being parodied because they're not present, and that's okay with me. No. So I can't more, wait till I want... can do a bad Donald Don, – I can't do a Donald Trump impression anymore. Yeah. That'll be that'll be a great day when he's uh, cold in the ground um, from, I don't know, choking on a hoagie or whatever whatever glorious way he's going to go out. Um, and uh, he's, he's, he's cold in the ground, and I'm like, what was that weird thing he used to do? He would say everyone was excellent. What What did he say all the time? Like, I can't even remember the specific ticks. I just remember he's a fucking asshole. It's just, it, it, his whole persona is entirely manufactured. But uh, he was a good actor in some movies. So, this one, uh, this, including this one. Yeah. He has weirdly good romantic chemistry with uh, Angie Dickinson. I disagree uh, with that. I would disagree with that. I'd say he has good buddy chemistry with the the male cast, but the Angie Dickinson thing doesn't work. I me. think I think it, well, it doesn't once it like the ending scene doesn't. But I do think that like two people that dislike each other a little bit, like uh, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, you've got male energy works. Anyways, uh, we'll get there. Are you ready to talk about Rio? Bravo. Yeah. Uh, his name is Rio. And he dances on the sand. Um, let's try to do it to the Bonanza theme song. Rio Bravo! <laughs> I'm Bananas for Bonanza.
to give us some alternate taglines on Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo? I hardly novoed. What do you think about that one? I kind of I kind of had to get out of it quick because you were going to say Rio Bravo, I hardly Navajoed. No, I was I was absolutely not going to say that, but I couldn't think of another letter to start with and then as I started saying that, my fake unrelated rhyming word, I'm like, "Oh wait, this is too close to something that could be bad." <laughs> Isn't it kind of nice sometimes when you watch old westerns and they just don't have any uh, American Indians in it? Uh yeah. Isn't it kind of uh, nice? I'm gonna no take that completely out of context. <laughs> Isn't it nice when you watch movies and it doesn't have any American Indians in because, it? Because like Peter? because the choice is essentially this. Do you want there to be Native Americans in a movie? Yeah, I know. And have them be uh I know like garbage. <laughs> or do you want them to just be like in my mind, they're off having their own their own uh adventures. Maybe the Paiute people uh, are off having their own adventures, watching the white men kill each other over uh, a basic sense of justice. Yeah, it's it's a it's a problem. Like uh, same thing. Like when you're like realize how little people of color were like in movies of the 30s, 40s, or 50s, and you're like, God, why? Oh, maybe I don't want. It. Like maybe <laughs> I don't want them to say the n word more. Like what? Hey, you're like what is... representation as long as the representation is not within 50 feet of John Wayne. Peter. What happens in Rio Bravo? Rio Bravo over its reasonable runtime. Yeah, it's it's a it's a long movie. These old westerns used to be more uh, char- episodic and character driven. So I'm not worth, worth into- noting. High noon is a lean ninety minutes because yeah. it's supposed to be in real time. So I guess they really were like, you know how he goes around for ninety minutes asking for help. What if we uh, have him say no to help for two and a half hours? <laughs> I would say, even reviews at the time called it uh, overlong. I would say the movie is overlong. Um, but the uh, the character, it's character It still goes so, by pretty fast. It's yeah, really let's, like... let's lay out the plot, though. Yeah. So, uh, John T. Chance is John Wayne's character. Uh, him and uh, Dean Martin, uh, Borachon, um are uh, in a... <clears throat> Are in a bar, uh, and they witness a murder. Um, the murder is, uh, he sort of does it with this, this proud disposition, this smug disposition. And he's actually, uh, his name is Joe. Uh, he is the brother of, uh, Nate. And there's, they're sort of a, uh, a ranching, a very powerful ranching family that thinks they can do whatever the fuck they want. And so Joe murders a guy basically for interrupting him in a bar, um, John Wayne uh, and uh, Dean Martin go and catch him uh, and sort of surprise him by catching him. Uh, he doesn't seem to to get that that's happening. But, you know, he gets arrested, sort of smugly accepts getting arrested. He's like, I'll be out of here soon. This kicks off the siege of the movie. So he, uh, there's a little bit of a, a time jump forward. Uh, yeah. John Wayne has been watching uh, Joe in jail along with his, uh, his, his uh, recovering alcoholic... Uh, teammate Borachon, which is a don't forget Stumpy. Yeah, and and old Stumpy, the comic relief. Um, I, actually, I actually like. I think the reviews at the time were not kind to Stumpy. I'm gonna plant my flag. Stumpy made me laugh a couple times, which is uh pretty goddamn good for a comic relief from a 1950s movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm I'm mixed I'm mixed on Stumpy as a person, oh, but uh, poor, what poor I love Stump- about Stumpy as a person, as a person uh, <laughs> yeah, as a, I doubt his character. Um, but but there's there's a lot of dramatic moments in the end where you're just Do like, you hey. think Stumpy was a ghost? <laughs> he, he could have been. He seems to have very little effect on the plot, minus killing two guys in the finale. There's a there's a and all he's all he's there to do is scare people away from the jail. So a ghost could do that. Well, he's well. He's supposed to be like, hey, he really will shoot Joe because he doesn't got anything to live for. You yeah. can't, you can't bargain with Stumpy. <laughs> <laughs> so Stumpy is the reason I like Stumpy is because he gave us a beautiful opportunity to do an old prospector voice the entire goddamn episode. <laughs> uh, I also like what he does. Uh, he uh, points his gun at the beginning. At, what is it like? It's not fuck. It's not Ricky Valens or Richie Valens. Ricky Nelson. Ricky Nelson. Yes. Uh, the one who didn't die in a plane accident um, that I know of. Uh, <laughs> but that we know of. That we know. I mean, I don't Casting know. Casting aspersions. Do you know how Ricky that, Nelson doesn't... died? Do you know how Ricky, off the dome, do you know how he died? Uh, cirrhosis of the liver, like all I, these guys? I mean, sure, possible, but you can't say he didn't die in a plane crash. But I know for a fact Richie Valens did, because Don McLean uh, invented him. Uh, <laughs> um, he died uh, in age 45. Uh, I just read, I just read divorced. <laughs> he died from divorce. Uh, yeah, he was married to uh, Ozzy, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Harriet? Was he Ozzy? I never saw uh, yeah. Ozzy and Harriet. Yeah, I'm he might have been. He was. He was probably good. Ricky chance. Nelson did die in a plane crash. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, Ricky Nelson. Well, it's not funny, but it is funny. It's not. It's not funny, but it's it funny is like it tells you what plane travel used to be like. That you could say you couldn't rule it out because yeah. it was a real possibility. He was flying in a plane on uh, New Year's Eve, nineteen eighty-five, from Guntersville, Alabama, to Dallas, Texas. His plane was his own Douglas DC three, which had a history of mechanical problems. Well, um. <laughs> Get it, get it fixed. Would be my recommendation. Yeah. Am I All in the dead? Hold on. Am I in the dead zone? <laughs> Is that what's happened? If I grab someone's arm right now, could I tell them how someone potentially died in the past? Yeah. If you grab a uh, DVD from 2007, you can tell. Uh, you, you can tell uh, how far along uh, the co-star was in their uh, drug recovery. Basically, reaction. We go. No. Anyways, I do like when he's like pointing the gun at the beginning, and John Wayne's like. I told you a couple times to stop pointing your <laughs> shotgun at him, and he's like, "All right, all right." <laughs> yeah, I, I like the 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 bro the camaraderie between the bros. I think Dean Martin's amazing in this. Ricky Nelson is awesome. As Dean cool. Martin sort of, is so yeah, they're all it's it, Ricky Nelson's great as sort of cool as a cucumber guy. He's sort of everybody has their own energy. Dean Martin is this wild, sweaty guy that you don't you don't get a lot of in this kind of movie. You usually get comic drunks, which is almost never funny because alcoholism is uh, rarely funny um and then yeah it's get... not, it's it's not played for laughs here and also like look i know i'm sure they played a lot of character actors like but i think when you picture dean martin you definitely don't expect him to play the like sad hobo drunk yeah he's i mean he's still hot because he's dean martin but they're playing it down he's he's red in the face he usually has five o'clock shadow he looks kind of pasty at times because he's hungover um he's playing it very hungover i think at the time he was uh 
I think he was like hungover. He was depriving himself of sleep, and also, you know, all those guys were alcoholics, so probably he was uh, doing some method acting. Yeah, that's um, what that's what it was. I'm not sleeping because of all the cocaine I'm <laughs> eating every morning for <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> 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 uh, I, uh, I, I, Frank won an Academy Award a couple of years ago, and I'm gonna go for it too. <laughs> Through cocaine for breakfast. Uh, just decaf for me. I had cocaine for breakfast. I mean, cocaine for breakfast would be a better song than what they play in this movie. That's like, anyways, we'll get there. Go quick. I, 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 yeah, I like a lot of the hokey shit in this movie, which surprised me. Um, There's not that much hokey shit. I do hate that right before the climax in a two and a half hour movie, they're like, how about a couple guitar songs from The Boys? I would love that in literally any other movie except for to pull back to what you said earlier. Uh, sometimes the sort of easy ebb and flow of this plot and the character based stuff uh really is relaxing to me which i do think is counter that sort of easy character flow and i'll get back to the plot um is i think counter to any sense of tension in the movie yeah um, and also like, I, if I, they would have done that an hour that, in which they couldn't i guess because ricky nelson wasn't part of the gang yet but yeah. like right before the climax when you should be at maximum t- tension they're like how about a couple songs and yeah like they sing a song and then they do an encore so if that song, okay, that song would be amazing if that was right after a fraught firefight. Maybe they lost one of their own. Maybe they lost the, you know, the the comic relief character. They're pretty sure they're all gonna die. All that, like that would have been a great like tension releaser. You know, like in Green Room when there's a moment when somebody's telling like a cool story or telling a joke. Like there's sort of like a moment where you need to take your foot off the gas a little bit. It's like what true artists do. The they song, play with the dials a little bit. They're not just fucking going go 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 because they know we want a roller coaster ride and roller coasters aren't just about you know just the plummets it's it's about the sort of build of anticipation right um but this movie doesn't really have that sense of like ongoing tension so you're right like two hours in they get you get to this point where they just play up this, this really, I think it's really a, a pair of really sweet, like folksy cowboy songs. Yeah, the, so- the songs aren't the problem. The placement the in the movie is yeah. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's kind of that's 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 the movie uh, is is essentially um, this town is uh, this town is uh, sort of being infiltrated by um, these shadowy. Uh, ranch hands, hired guns who are gradually getting paid more and more to uh, kill allies of Chance and and the other cops. And they're trying to free uh, Joe uh, all under the orders of his brother, Nate. So, but again, they, they, they have to do it. It's not as simple as just, Hey, we're going to overrun the, the sheriff's office where he's kept because of the fact that uh, Stumpy lives within the jail cell. (laughs) pointing a gun at joe and if anyone tries to break in he's gonna shoot joe before anyone kills him yeah yeah there's so you get the sense if they had played with that that knob a little bit more i would have uh i would have really liked this movie like i hate i hate to say it but like i would love like a hour 45 or 90 minute like reboot of this that just takes like the skeleton don't even call it real bravo but just takes the skeleton plot of this should you call it el dorado uh yes 
Um, I mean, it's possible. Did you look up the runtime of the two remakes of this movie? Yes, yeah, it's 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 possible, but none of them are doing what I want to do, which is I would like it to maintain a modern sense of tension, a post Carpenter sense of tension throughout, and I would love to have the comic relief character also be a sort of unhinged guy. So like a mix of like very funny in one scene, but also clearly struggling with shit in one scene. It's it, 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 there's there's a clear division between the sympathy for Dean Martin's character and mm-hmm. the um complete lack of sympathy for Stumpy. Stumpy is Stumpy is, doesn't need sympathy. Stumpy's fine. Stumpy's yeah. happy to be there, Peter. And I think yeah, that's what but, you're missing. But that's the thing. Is he's, he's the, the, the comic relief is supposed to be a punching bag. You're supposed to feel okay laughing at Jerry uh on Parks and Rack and like you're supposed to you're supposed to feel fine laughing at at some of these characters. I don't know cuz Jerry I actually think Jerry is a good touch point because the joke about Jerry ultimately becomes like uh, Jerry is extremely satisfied with his life and like no amount of work jokes actually ruin the fact that he's like uh, extremely happy overall. And I feel but like they spent Stumpy... like six out of seven seasons or whatever in. Look, in I'm just trying to say that I don't think anyone's that hard on Stumpy. And I think Stumpy's happy where he is. Oh, yeah. I think your, your Stumpy hate needs to. Get get out of the humpy. Uh, you're saying the stumpy hater needs to say see you later. <laughs> yeah, way better than mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like we need to hold on. Fuck, this is we need to. We're, we're an hour and thirty minutes into this. We need to finish the plot so we can say yeah. final thoughts. Yeah. So okay, so anyways, um, it is. It, I'm, I'm trying to sort of paint a picture here because I don't want to go through the plot points. But essentially, uh, you know, they they make friends with another rancher who's coming through town, and that rancher gets killed, and then they they have shoot some small little skirmishes with folks that um, are under the hired gun of Nate. And as the movie goes on, they gather up uh, the alliances of um, they gather up the alliances, but constantly refuse the help of Angie Dickinson of uh, Carlos, who's uh, who runs the local like hotel um, and Chance stays at. Um, and I don't really want to say much about Carlos except for he's also supposed to be a comic relief character. Uh, it doesn't work at all. Um, but one cool thing about it is. His gun, his uh, son, or sorry, grandson, uh, Clifton Collins Jr., um, uses his belt from this movie in uh, um, uh, Westworld. Kind of cool. cool trivia bit. Yeah. Um, anyways, I don't really have much else to say about the character. It's kind of supposed to be a comic relief thing, but it's not that funny. It's basically just like, oh, my wife won't leave me alone. And then partway through the movie, he's like, my wife beats the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm just like, is this a joke or is this sad? I don't know. Do you I want feel more sad. bullets? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start Uber for bullet delivery. <laughs> so yeah, and then so, so that's the only help that John Chance takes from him in the final firefight against Nate. So what ends up happening? He's like, all right, is, give it to me, but I'm gonna put him in my gun one by one. <laughs> so here's what ends up happening: Dino uh, gets captured um and uh during and then they're taking him uh away from uh to to sort of like their their hideout uh sort of and then weirdly peter you may have noticed this too the siege e's become the siege ers <laughs> is siege-er the word you want yep <laughs> what else would you say they've been under siege and now they're over siege i'm so stupid i'm just feeling that the word seizure is connected to the word siege i don't think they're related at all one's got a z one's got a g yeah, you're right that's that's how language works 
One letter different. Different letters. Different things. Different meanings. Aaron has never heard of a cognate. Um, So. Oh my god, I took Latin. That's all I heard about. I didn't have to speak (laughs) shit. (laughs) So, so they go. They 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 say basically, we'll give you Dino if you bring us Joe. So during this uh, during this the skirmish. Um, the John Wayne, uh, as you can imagine, does not make this clean trade. They have a big firefight against the gang. They blow up part of the barn. The gang surrenders. Uh, John Wayne and Angie Dickinson talk about their feelings for one another in a, a few times chemistry free, uh, finale. hard disagree. Um, and, uh, the only chemistry there is Angie Dickinson throwing herself into the role with, uh, all, all of the charm of, um, Here's, what, here's what's like frustrating. A, so, like, like, yeah, insane, blah, blah, blah. They save like the day. gallons of charm. I don't, I don't even want to make a metaphor here. Angie Dickinson is the most charming fucking present. She is she is what Technicolor film was made for. She's let's 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 so, just put this out. We're we're so done with the recap. Pristine, right? So like like her fu- her fucking face and like the way that she just like with a, <laughs> a, a, a one eighteenth of a smile can like make you smile is like it's. It, it's unheard of. And it made me, when I was watching those scenes together between her and John Wayne, mind you, she was 26 and he was 51. Um, that when they was watching those scenes together, I was like, holy shit, this scene would really snap if she was with anybody that I didn't hate. <laughs> uh, so John Wayne also, did you know, Peter, this is a trivia we didn't talk about. Someone with 66% of John John Wayne's name once killed quite a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's related. I don't know if it's related at all, but like just for completion, I would say sake, they're both clowns. Just for completion's sake, we should mention it. Uh, Do you think that John Wayne Gacy killed more people than John Wayne encouraged to go to Vietnam and died there? Do you think there's a person named Wayne Gacy who would also suffer for <laughs> a little bit? Do you think Wayne Newton's original name was Wayne Gacy, and he was like? Got to get rid of that. Probably. <laughs> the, I know the timeline doesn't make sense. So you have 26-year-old Angie Dickinson, who's great in this movie, and your three potential love interests, realistically, are a uh, young and very pretty Ricky Nelson, who ends up starring so in the television show, Ozzy and Harriet, Dean Martin, legendary crooner and handsome man, and uh, 50-year-old John Wayne. And they're like, you know what? Let's give her to John Wayne. <laughs> and also, for the will they, won't they at the end, let's have her show John Wayne a skimpy outfit and him to go, this is fucking bullshit. You ever wear that? I'll arrest you. And she's like, I knew you loved me because you throw me in jail for indecency because you hate women. Finally, a man I can stay with. So John Wayne is basically his attitude towards everyone is, and this is in all movies, is kind of like he treats everyone a little bit like Bruce Willis in flirty mode. And I'm going to I'm going to try to walk into this to help you understand is that like John Wayne never answers a question or like communicates with anyone in any sort of clear manner in any movie. Right. So if he's like, hey, John Wayne. Is lunch almost ready? We're really hungry here. Well, somewhat, sometimes people get pretty hungry when they're moving their behinds. Like, he just can't communicate in a direct manner. Which is funny that this movie inspired John Carpenter, who one of whose most of his most famous characters are like, here's a dark quip. 
And then the other character says 90 lines and he's like, here's another awesome quip. Yeah. But like John Wayne's John Wayne's thing, like it is like out of context, out of anything else is the way that he talks to people is like he is Bruce Willis flirting with everyone. Like, Mm. I'm not going to give you a direct answer or like Bruce Willis types. Like, I'm going to kind of make a little bit of a goofy way to say it and like. In some way, that's going to be seen as charming. So, John Wayne's like that. Like, one thing I really realized watching this movie is John Wayne's like that with fucking everybody. He's an asshole, but, like, that is a type of romantic lead that we've decided works. Like, hey, what if this guy's, like, an asshole but says clever, kind of funny things? And yeah, so, like, yeah. and he's, so, he's, like, he's a complete trash head. And in real life, like on paper, you'd be like, he's not a good boyfriend. But you're watching him on screen, and you kind of like the fact that he's at tension with the rest of the movie. Like, he doesn't want to quite buddy up to everybody. He's got to give everyone a little bit of shit. He gives Stumpy a little bit of shit, and then he gives Stumpy a drink. Like, yeah, it, it, it's sort of ebb and flow where he's like. He's kind of a shithead, and then he's kind of sweet. Like, if that were someone's boyfriend in real life, you'd be like, get rid of him. But in movies, you're like, we love that Bruce, Bruce well, Willis character. Well, and also, that works really well when the person is naturally charismatic. Yeah. And as much as I fucking hate John Wayne, John Wayne is naturally charismatic. He has a way where you're right. If like If other people delivered his lines, you'd be like, God, do you have to be an asshole? And like about ever, can you just answer my fucking question? But because John Wayne says it, it does have a little bit of reluctant charm, even, even watching it now where, you know, it's why he, like, he never seems scared by the villains and stuff like that. Cause they'll be like, I'm going to shoot you. Like, maybe you will, maybe you won't. (laughs) And you feel like they're waiting to hear the line. They're like, all right, you guys, you guys, this is going to be really good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, and, and so one thing that has happened in like the, the era of, well, I, I think it actually goes back even beyond like in the John Wayne era that like, we, you're right. In real life, it doesn't work. But in movies and TV, the charismatic asshole is like perfect typecasting for a romantic lead in a movie. Because that's what you need. You need someone who there's a little bit of tension. They don't like each other right away. He's kind of a little bit too, uh, you know, I'm not really all that invested in anything <laughs> in my life. And then like eventually wears down. Uh, gets worn down through a, a lot of times an equally charismatic romantic lead. So all that like flirty stuff, unfortunately, and I recognized why it was kind of like working for me. Not because John Wayne and Angie Dickinson necessarily have chemistry, but their types that they're playing is like what Hollywood chemistry is like fucking based on. And so it was working. Where it didn't work, and why I said it works in the beginning of the movie, it doesn't work later on. Is because once you're supposed to get past the hard edge, I'm kind of a sarcastic asshole to everything, and and you're a you know a, a tough lady in the old west, and they had to like kind of you have to graduate at some point to sweet, so it's not like there is a romantic chemistry that's based on oh yeah they had a tough outer shell quote unquote, but inside they were soft and chewy, and with John Wayne, <laughs> there's it's still the same. The ending doesn't work at all because John Wayne is like, oh, there's no shell. You're just a fucking like rock solid like chocolate all the way through. Um, So that's why at the ending, instead of being like, I love you too, 
thank God you're still here. I'm glad you stayed. It's like, I'm going to throw you in jail if you ever wear that shit in front of my fucking face again. You <laughs> like, and it's like, oh, wait, it doesn't work anymore. The, the, the curve that you were supposed to take as a character towards this person didn't happen. They're both good at like, maybe I don't care about you. I'm just trying to help. And that is what Hollywood romantic comedies are made of. It's a it's a formula. It works in this movie. Yeah, that's probably the way that you met someone in real life is not kind of being a distant asshole to them. Uh, it's why incels are very confused why copying movie stars doesn't work for them in real life. But yeah, in the movie, it worked and until it didn't. When I was like, no, you guys are supposed to be past this. So we've, we've actually riffed on a bunch of movies that um, are kind of Western-inspired. Mad Max, notably. Like, anytime we've done a post-apocalyptic movie, essentially, it's been Western-inspired. We did Escape from L.A., which is... Most sci-fi movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, most action movies are in some way inspired by Westerns. You know what's um, funny? I, I Now that I'm thinking about it, Peter, I feel like hmm. most movies are basically Westerns, if you, if you think about it. If you think about it... Every movie is a western in that somewhere is west of somewhere. Uh, yeah, like west of her, the Ethan Warren movie, and then actually that's the totally one that's most yeehaw. Yeah, the one that's most a western is the movie Western from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never seen it, but it's right there in the title. Can't uh, miss it. Um, East of Eden. East is just west from a different perspective. <laughs> yeah, if you just keep going, east eventually becomes west. Yeah. The world's a, a circle? What they say? The world's a fat circle. The world, world's a bunch of circles at 360 degree angles. <laughs> All smashed together like. Time is a... What do you call the thing where it's like a circle, but like a million circles, and they're all kind of around each other? I'd follow you around all the circles. <laughs> if we could end up together. Um, thank you. That's very nice of you to say. Um, <clears throat> so the point I was making is a lot of stuff is Western inspired. A lot of stuff that I love is Western inspired. And I think it's because, uh, John Carpenter secretly programmed me into loving, um, uh, sort of minimalist approach. Uh, it's not about all the biggest explosions and guns and such. It's actually about a group of characters all interacting with one another to build dramatic conflict. And then the plot emerges from those character based sort of interactions. And, and it's, uh, and it's sort of Western shootout dynamics. These very crisp sort of one sh- It's not about everybody has a mini gun. It's about like, you know, one shot here, one shot there. It's one of it's one of my reservations about the Assault on Precinct 13 remake is that it's just about like fucking millions upon millions of blasts of, of uh, machine gun chatter. Um, and uh, I'm thinking of, while you're talking about the John Wayne thing, I'm actually thinking of Justified, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. You know, it's alongside Hannibal. Yeah, yeah Raylan Givens, though, like, classic John Wayne, like... Like, are you going to shoot me? Maybe I am. Maybe I ain't. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, well, are you, though? Like, there's two things you... that happen in, in with Raylan Givens that they do that's amazing. One, Raylan Givens starts making fun of himself at some point in the show. And, and it's not like the movie, yeah. the show turns know, to parody, seen... but he starts to realize, he starts to show off that he's like, yeah, I say this shit because it scares people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I two, find I wear this hat, I dress like this, talk like I do. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like he's leaning to, into a persona yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It is who he is because he's he's donned this persona long enough that he's become it. Like he is the hat because he, he originally put on the hat because that was a persona. It was a tough guy persona. He was a, you know, uh, they dug coal together. Um, he was a baseball player. He had all the sort of like good old boy Southern yeah. touches. And then he put on the hat and he was like, I got to lean into the, I got to lean into the fucking 10 gallon hat thing. Then uh, over time, he realized the 10 gallon hat thing was working. And then eventually he just, he merged with the, the position. Right. And I feel like that's how a lot of, a lot of p- folks secretly uh, are, have a sort of humbling route to becoming who they are. Right. But the thing about the second thing about Raylan Givens that I, I love is that as the show goes on, because TV shows have a way of, um, over time, um, either making you realize how fake the characters are or how real the characters are. And uh, Justified did the latter, which is... Um, and, and I'm not saying the former is a bad thing. Sometimes like shows like 30 Rock played with how our, like how these characters were stereotypes and uh, how they were uh, sort of... Um, uh, uh, they're not real. They're, they're supposed to stand in for, you know, uh, specific types of people. They're supposed to stand in for stereotypes, but they're also humanized, right? Um, and, and, and with Justified, uh, the humanism of it that comes from Raylan Givens that goes on over time is you realize that, like, living with Raylan Givens would be hard. He would be a hard person to be a partner with. Um, he'd be a hard husband to be to be around for a really long time. And that's why, even though I don't like Angie Dickinson and John Wayne in this movie, there's a bit of um, there's a bit of realness in the end. Um, and the movie clearly wants us to find this exchange charming, but there's a bit of realness that as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, this is how their relationship will be <clears throat> until eventually she leaves him and gets some self-respect is uh, him kind of treating her uh, in a sort of controlling manner, her fighting back and her little rebellions. Uh, and eventually, and, and I don't think eventually like one of them's going to give up and they're going to be happy because that's not yeah. really how relationships work. Um, I get the sense that you're like, these are the two dynamics. And as long as both of them find this dynamic charming and sexy, uh, it's going to live on uh, until he dies uh, in probably five years. Cause I don't think people live that long in the West. <laughs> No, not if you're 51 and a, a sheriff, and also a sheriff who doesn't take many precautions, like accepting the help of people who want to save your life. <laughs> and someone who's like, and someone who's like, well, the town's under siege. Better just walk around a lot. If we stop walking around, they're gonna know we're scared. Yeah, but the last guy died from walking around. Like they shot him through the barn door the guy that was asking for said he'd help us and she was like yeah that did happen (laughs) you saying we don't go on our walks so really really quick actually all the all the action scenes are really great but they are this is a movie where it is two and a half hours but it gets you a lot of time to get to know the characters figure out kind of their dynamic and everything else so that when there are action scenes it does feel serious, uh, and that's sometimes it's it's tough to maintain interest. I think a lot of movies try to do that and fail because they're like, "What we need is a bunch of slow scenes so that the the action scenes um, really hit." And what ends up happening is you're like, "Oh, that was a boring movie, except a couple times they had some cool shootouts I liked." Uh, this is a movie where. The slow stuff actually really works. You do have a lot of charismatic actors. You do have some interesting stories. The movie knows when to throw out scenes that are going to kind of make you all of a sudden sit up in your chair and then lull you back into like, here's, here's here's a chance for these 
characters to talk. And and one of my one of my favorite scenes in the movie, really one of the best Western scenes, like shootout type scenes I've seen, is there's this amazing scene where the whole thing with Dean Martin's characters that he's a drunk and they don't know if they can trust him. But him which is yes. uh, Spanish for you know drunkard. Yes. Um. And he, uh, someone tries to kill them when they're walking around, much like we said they really shouldn't be doing, but John Wayne's not going to stop walking. Um, And he is pretty sure that he shot him on his run out and said, I saw him go into that bar. And John Wayne's whole thing is like, I need to trust this guy. I gave him a badge. Like, but okay, we'll follow your lead. You want to go in the bar? Go in the bar. Uh, So they go in the bar. And uh, he's like, they're checking everyone for bullet wounds. They're checking everyone's boots for mud. And eventually, eventually they find out, hey, no one's boots got mud. And the bartender starts like, oh, why don't you have a drink here? Like, you probably already had a few tonight. Uh, everyone in the bar, by the way, is in on it. They're all part of these hired goons. Uh, what you know as an audience member is the guy, there's like kind of a back stairs and he's up watching before the person leaves. So he, like John Wayne, you can see like his his view is just deflating. It's a really great scene where he's like, fuck, I'm surrounded by all these people. I started taking their guns because I trusted him and he was wrong. And now everyone's like, you know, the only thing we have right now, there's three of us, is a little bit sense of authority and guns. And now we're like being ridiculed openly and everyone's calling out to what a drunk, what a drunk he is so he goes up to get a drink at the bar and sees that uh there's blood dripping down and so he walks back a sec and uh i forget what line he says but it's good i don't have it in my notes uh and he just holsters up his gun shoots up into the air and he like falls through the balcony this guy right and then he strolls back to the bar and says yeah i think i'll take that drink now and it's so fucking good peter it's so good it is it is the best part of the movie and is one of the best like uh western moments i think i've ever seen it's amazing uh it's really taught taught um it's taught in in a way that um howard hawks can be uh i actually so uh, this is this is maybe a good moment to talk about um how confining and how small this space feels and how i wish more of the movie felt like this yeah actually Um, that's definitely do that Really quickly, though, I do want to note that part of the reason the tension's so great, as you just said, is because it is an hour into a two and a half hour movie, which you are hyper aware of. So you're like, are they really going to nail this? Like, there is a real possibility that he walks out of the bar feeling like, fuck, I guess we didn't have him because, yeah, they have to work through all this. There's probably some drama with um, John Wayne second guessing himself. Like, is he really going to find his guy who's hiding is it one of those things where like later on he's like you were the guy in the bar i told you john wayne i'm not a lunatic drunk who sees things like and the fact that so i really thought that's what was going to happen because that is a very common movie trope and the fact that he still gets his his victory and his like praise in that moment and then the fallout comes later was really surprising to me yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. It, this the, I, I found myself actually really attached to the character um, of the dude. Um, I know we kind of moved away from that, but like I, I found myself really care- attached to dude dash Um and 
that sort of to sort of double back um this is the sort of scene that uh feels like what we remember classic westerns as the the blood yeah. in the glass scene the, the the scene is what we remember classic westerns as and I actually think that John Carpenter, when he keeps referencing Rio Bravo as his inspiration for Salt and Precinct 13, he secretly means a thing from the other from another world, which uh, was technically which we talk about by, next week, maybe. Yeah, which which uh, Christian Nyby, it was technically the director on that. But everyone kind of agrees it was actually Howard Hawks's movie and he gave credit to his editor um, for sort of, you know, political reasons. And also he wanted to help jumpstart the guy's career and stuff like that. Um, kind of like how... Uh, Toby Hooper actually directed Poltergeist, despite commonly Steven Spielberg being listed as the director. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, but, the, the, but at the time, especially um, for both of those movies, actually, uh, that, that wasn't a thing that was done. Like, the directors couldn't come out and be like, I actually directed that. Um, it's, a, it's a dickhead thing to do. Um, so... Yeah, you couldn't just say you wrote She's All That if you didn't write She's All That. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is a good reference because it's a movie we've already covered. We've Um, already covered it. Yeah, yeah. the timeline works, Peter. (laughs) But The Thing from the Other World is a movie that's very much about these tense... Uh, these tense confrontations in small claustrophobic chambers and about small characters kind of huddled around a space heater having their conversations and then all of a sudden the fucking monster bursts through the wall like that that feels to me way more like assault on precinct 13 than this movie does um but that see that little moment the blood in the glass moment uh feels a lot like like that like uh, infused into john carpenter's dna um so we've weirdly and part of this is just because this is the first western we've done peter i feel like we've run out of time uh so we talk a lot about westerns and john wayne um but i think that's fine because the thing i mean the thing that's worth talking about this movie besides it being a great movie is the characters the actors and like how well paced and directed it is pauline which we did yeah pauline kale uh even said in her review that she considered it uh she she considered it a little fatty um pauline kale even said in her review of the time that she considered it a little fatty so there's there's a this isn't just you know modern uh modern quibby tastes uh millennials like we <laughs> i can appreciate a longer movie but there's there's a the reason that i i uh have trouble with the length is uh because of that le- like uh sort of moving to my final thoughts that that, that sort of lack of tension throughout um and th- there's really great awesome action scenes but there's movies from this era and there's movies from before this era that sort of sustain tension for two hours and and keep it keep it moving um like night of the hunter (laughs) this is like one of the greatest thrillers of all time and you know overseas there's like fritz lang's m from 30 years prior like movies can stay tense i mean m's like 70 minutes long yeah yeah um but there's movies that can sustain that sort of tension throughout and i'm not saying the movie needed to be that but i'm saying that if you're gonna make a movie about a bunch of people and you need us to feel trapped make us feel trapped a little bit so um while it works amazingly as a character piece if you're looking for this to be sort of like a tense action movie. It doesn't work that way. It works as a, as a character piece. Um, yeah. And I love the characters. I love the sort of buddy camaraderie between the characters. I even like John Wayne in this role a lot. Um, I had a joke here that I wrote down that I didn't have a space for. Can't wait to hear it. Which is, uh, you know, Borachone is also known as Dude throughout the movie. 
Um, and I, and I, I maybe could have included this as an alternate tagline, but I, did, I missed the opportunity. Um, and I would call this movie, alternate title for this movie, it'd be uh, Dude, Where's the Bar? Yeah, the the great. Uh, the best <laughs> the best thing about Stumpy is he really ties the room together. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, but yeah, so I I I am not and I'm I'm not actually saying that it's a um a flaw in the film, but I'm just saying adjustments need to be made for the movie, and that's why I think as I get older, I'm more attached to uh, these slower westerns. Like I couldn't watch Shane when I was 15, but now that I'm approaching 30, the idea of this slow movie about sad people trying to connect uh and then needing to connect to uh fend off true evil uh is is uh really lovely to me like that that sort of the pace of life and this gorgeous uh gorgeous uh cinematography uh really does appeal to me so that's what i think on rio bravo uh it does have some uh, some odd connections for this month or sorry some it does have an odd placement of this month but i actually glad we kicked off the month with this for a slew of reasons well, I'm glad we popped our, like, real Western cherry. Maverick yeah. doesn't really count. <laughs> we almost did Maverick because we did the Lethal Weapon movies, and we were like, well, we should throw this one in, right? I really like Maverick. I just wish, once again, it didn't have a monster. But, like, an active monster. John Wayne's, yeah, he's the fucking worst. But at least I do feel a little less, and I, I feel less guilty enjoying a John Wayne movie than I do a Mel Gibson or Johnny uh, Depp movie or anything like that. Just because, yeah, like... Not only is he dead and gone, but thankfully, at least when it comes in John Wayne's case, like, his bugaboos are all, like, laughable. Oh, you were for the Vietnam War? Oh, you were like, fuck you, High Noon, and you made a movie about it? Come on. You're a sad. You're a sad, very... I was going to say this little man, but you're a sad, very tall man. <laughs> um, But yeah, so... Really great movie. I'm glad I finally got around to watching it, too. I have owned it now for a few years. Uh, but yeah, it's it's shamefully, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, got time for uh, a movie. If I have time for a movie, I rarely have time for a two and a half hour movie. And if I have time for a two and a half hour movie, I probably have time for two movies. So that's why these longer movies sometimes get the short shrift, even ones I'm excited to see. So yeah, great movie. I loved it. Would watch it again. I can see why a lot of people have like rediscovered it post its, um, what it was kind of railing against and just was like, Oh, this is a really great movie. Um, uh, and then on the pro side, it inspired assault on precinct 13, and on the negative side, inspired Ghosts of Mars, so I think that's a wash. Uh, and yeah, that's all I have to say. About. I have one last thought to sort of even put a cap around the thought I already made. Uh, sure. The, mov- the, the, the movie ends with Nate and most of his gang alive and, and, and you know, coming out of the barn house with their hands out. Like, none of the other movies this month end that way all of them end the the um assault on precinct 13 one ends with uh uh you know who is left alive running away from the scene because too many cops are showing up uh yeah the remake ends with uh all the bad cops getting stabbed and shot uh green room same thing uh vfw same shit yes yeah, so we're gonna have a really fun month and we know that for a fucking fact because we've recorded all the other episodes i've never been more sure of it i've never been more sure i mean we could really fuck up the edits i guess and and take out all the good parts and leave all the bad parts in i can do a special uh uh laugh gate 
where I filter out at any time anybody is laughing at someone's joke. So it's just people quietly pausing to, to giggle a little bit at their own joke to complete silence. That is one of the mildly frustrating parts about listening to our early episodes where we're like, well, we can't just hear someone complete their laughter. <laughs> so it'd be like, someone says something funny and then someone goes, ha all right, and we're back. Like, <laughs> Wait, what? Let me appreciate people enjoying We were enjoying very, self-conscious about, very self-conscious about uh, letting, letting the moment sit, weren't we? Yeah, we were, we were so self-conscious. Uh, anyways, yes, yeah, so we have Green Room with Bill Fox. This is, oh yeah, this is the full friends and family roster. Green Room with Bill Fox, uh, but that'll come after Assault on Precinct 13 with Ryan Bolin. <laughs> Set him out of order, but still holds up guest-wise. And then we're ending with uh, Sohiel, a friend of Peter's from Charlie's Life, his brother, um, in VFW. Uh, yeah, uh, so he was my friend. Uh, also, that's how they're all. Friends. They're all Peter's friends yeah. and family. Yeah. Well, technically, none of them are family by uh, blood relation, so they're all just your friends. It's friend month. Yeah, friend yeah. month. For I mean, I mean, I would consider my brother-in-law to be family, but and I will have no friends on the podcast, including the host or anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, what I was going to say is, uh, I had, I, I had a lot of kind of fun. Usually Aaron does a lot of peek behind the curtain. Aaron does a lot of the scheduling, uh, stuff. Um, and it was kind of fun for me to be like, well, I haven't had, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't had Ryan and Bill on, uh, very, very, uh, often, uh, in the past. They've uh, both been days. on in the last three months. Yeah. What? Um, in the past four weeks, they haven't been on, uh, very much. So why not have them on in week six? And then, uh, I, I was like, I was like, oh, you know, I, I've, I, I've been meaning to get so heel on the show for so long. I, I should, I should pull the trigger on this one. So, um, just just goes to show you if you put any amount of effort in what what can come out yeah i'm uh and i like it too those those episodes are super relaxing to me because i can i don't need to be on my best behavior because anything i say that bothers anyone peter's got to deal with they're not my friends yeah the fallout is all on me it's kind of like when you unite two peer groups in high school and it's like oh fuck i forgot (laughs) one of them likes dungeons and dragons too much (laughs) <laughs> that was literally my my entire mo my entire life has been uh, uh y- well you're you're a barbie doll and you're a gi joe and you should kiss okay i know make I know out usually... yeah oh yeah we're gonna make out with more than a few people on, on yeah. the next few episodes so anyways I did, and i did play uh i did play a little bit of a matchmaker at different points in my life and all those relationships ended horribly so yeah doesn't surprise me you're a bad judge of character <laughs> As as proven by starting a podcast with me. Um, So yeah, as John Wayne would say, what's Senator McCarthy's number, you communist? Good night. (laughs) Good night. Rough rider, no, you don't want nada, nada. There's six gun in this, brother running this. Buffalo, 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 no, 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 no. Any damsel that's in distress, be out of distress when she meet gym dress. Rough neck, so go check the rough neck, so go watch your step or flex and get a hole in your dress. Swallow your buffalo, don't let your neck react. You don't wanna see my hand where my hand be at. But James dress from the start of this, running the game. Artemis, taming the West, so remember the James. Now who you gonna call? Now who you gonna call? You don't wanna see my knee. See my bum rush break out before you get beat. When I roll into the when I stroll into the 
to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>